We all have questions in which we desire to grow and develop. Are you looking to grow in a certain area of your life? Well, let's talk about it. Welcome to Let's Talk About It. In today's episode, I sit down with my friend and intern, Jessica Fripp, as we unpack how to read our Bible. Let's dive in. All right, cool. We are live. So yeah, just be sure you're speaking to the mic. (laughs) So the last time we talked about uh, the canonization of the Bible, 40 authors and all that good stuff, but God inspired what versions do we uh, read and whatnot. So we talked through like the KJV and the difference between, um, I think it's formal, I want to say. Yep, formal approach and the functional approach. So we talked about that. Just kind of opening it up, was there anything for you that just kind of stuck out from last week and something that you've been thinking of since then? And if not, we'll move on. The King James. The King James? What about it? Just knowing it was written, it doesn't mean that it was wrong. It was just written for that time, for that context. Yeah. So that was really important for me to acknowledge. And... To know what you're reading the Bible for. Mm-hmm. So, explaining to my mom about the functional and the, and the formal. Mm. And she was like super excited about that. She also, as a shameless plug, wants you to teach her. And so, her she's been saying like, do you think that Mark and Jimmy would like talk to me via Zoom? And I was like, <laughs> probably, but that's not his job. His job is to teach me. So, just teaching her about this like, you know... Um, and then, like, what versions are paraphrases? Yeah. So, what are you looking for when you're reading? Um, the, now, the um, the notebook that you gave me with all those different like parts of speech, like, oh, this is a metaphor, like, oh, this is an onomatopoeia, and I was like, mm. so that part will require more, yeah, more delving. For yeah, me. for sure. Um, but I was reading even that to her because we were like, man, every word in the Bible or every sentence or every transition, there's so much meaning, and it's important to know what you're like. Like who interpret it, and then making sure that they do know the yeah. Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic because those things are important that yeah. you don't you don't want to lose his actual meaning. Yeah. You know, like because we were just even talking about like why did they choose to call him Jehovah here and not just call him God? Mm-hmm. What was it, does does one mean something bigger than the other? How yeah. are we reading this as Americans? And so just it was just interesting to to take what I learned last week and then to share it with my family and just how excited they seem to be about what I was learning it's and really cool. even the learning that they're getting from just the things that I'm telling them that I'm getting from a snapshot from yeah. this. So, yeah. so that's where I was uh, last week. It's just kind of like just uh, meditating on that. And so like when I've been reading the Bible this week, I've been asking questions like, oh, what does this mean? Or, oh, like, you know, why did they change? Like even... With Genesis, and I'm going back through the Bible um, to, from the beginning again to read it through the ESV now. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things when I was reading in Genesis with, with Eve, and it's not important. It was just me challenging myself to do it. Yeah. So it was like Eve had said to the snake or had said like, oh, you know, if I if I eat this fruit, I'm going to die or whatever. And then it was like when she then it kind of transitioned and it was like she saw it was good for food and that she would become wise. Mm. And I was like, hmm. It's like, they said good knowledge of good and evil. Mm-hmm. So does that make you wise? Why Why the transition of the word wise now? And so yeah. I was like, look at me, questioning different texts. <laughs> so it just kind of felt good. And I know it probably wasn't a big catch. Yeah, it was just yeah. one of those things of like, 
this is what you should be noticing is yes. why did the words change all of a sudden? Yeah. Who is interpreting this now? Like, right. Where did that come from? Yeah. Was Adam next to her? Like, because she was like, she just gave it to Adam. I'm like, was she going to seek him out? Did she find him? Yeah, yeah. Then it was like, then they heard the Lord. And I'm like, what does the Lord sound like? Because it said they heard the sound of the Lord moving in the garden. Was he stomping? Mm. You know, was he moving to the bush? Like, what was it? The train of his, you know, just like trying to just be more imaginative. Yeah, and for be sure. More involved. Because what happens sometimes with me is I'll read the old, I'll read stuff because I've always read those things. And it kind of gets, it doesn't get old to you, but it gets um, familiar. Yeah. And I want to I want to be unfamiliar again. That's good. So that's kind of what this has been inspiring me to do as I'm going through the Bible again, is to not get familiar, to, yeah. to, to challenge yourself to read with a different lens. Yeah, that's good. Something a, a friend of mine said growing up, she said, the Bible is inexhaustible. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, and things like this is having the tools and... Even though I've gone through it, like I'm still as a, as I'm going back through it with you guys, it's even reminded me. I'm like, oh, like I forgot about that, or like you said, what does it look like for me to go back and read it with a new lens? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. um, that's that's great. Um, yeah, that whole difference between the formal approach and the functional approach. It's it's and the beauty is one is not more right or wrong than the other. Yeah. It's just knowing it, so it helps you for for that season, that moment that you know that you're in, wherever it is you're at in that stage of life. Um, I love it. That's awesome. Uh, so chapter two, um, the same thing. I'm just going to go through uh, the stuff just that I highlighted and just make it conversational. But the Bible encourages us and lifts our spirits. It comforts us. It guides us. It builds us up and gives us hope and brings us close to the living God. Um, some parts of the Bible, and we see this too from the Old Testament and the New Testament, some parts of the Bible are very easy to understand. You know, So when you read it, you're just like, got it. I know exactly what it means. Moving on. Other things aren't. Um, and so we want to be confident that we can pull the actual truth out of the text and not just develop an arbitrary, a fanciful, or incorrect interpretation, which is a little bit what we were talking about. And so the process of interpreting and grasping the Bible is similar to embarking on a journey. I really like that language. So it's easy to go into Scripture, and it's, it's, it's human nature to go, what does this mean for me, immediately? It's not wrong to ask that, but there's a process, though, as to how we get to that question in the first place you know so what if we looked at every single time i opened the bible what if we looked at it as a journey like a road trip mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like there's a difference between like when i go from point a to b to go to work especially if work is only 10 or 15 minutes away yeah. and this goes to your point of it's familiar i take the same route every single time but what if we looked at it as but when there's a road trip you're planning you're taking clothes with you and even the even the the unplanning of a road trip yes because you're like oh you know what Let's go do this detour. Yes. You see billboards, and you're That's like, good. what's this place? And so there's this excitement because though you have an agenda, yes, it's subject to change. And I think when you're, re- I think when you're on a road trip, sometimes there's flexibility too because you're giving yourself a week or two to like, or however long, depending on how far the road trip is. That's good. But like, you're giving yourself the freedom, yeah. to try new things or to like, oh, we've always said we're going to stop at that strip mall. Let's go actually see what they yeah, have. Yeah. Even if it's corny, let's yeah. just go. Right, right, right. And so I think I like that you're using the Bible as that because I don't often enter the Bible with excitement. Like, mm. you know, like sometimes I think that there are people that I meet and I'm like, ooh, they're just, they just love the word. And so that's, <laughs> I just never get enough. And so for me, I'm like, <laughs> let me look at the things that I like. So like yeah. sometimes I'll read, I'll read what I, what I get or yeah. I read for a purpose. Yeah. I don't just... I don't, if I were being transparent, I just don't open the Bible to be like, 
I wonder what we can do today. Yeah. Or I wonder what, what random thing we're going to discover. Like, I just, yeah, yeah. that's not my mindset. Yeah. So just rewiring my brain to think about that. That's kind of cool. To no, that's good. With freedom. I, well, and that's a great point because it's, that is actually part of the tool of when we approach the word, how do I get outside of myself, mm-hmm. you know, to do that. So like it says, I love this. We're separated from the biblical audience by culture by customs, by language, situation, and a vast expanse of time. You know, so when we think through the lens of the New Testament, because that's the side that we're on, I was still like just 2,000 years ago. It's a long time, you know. But imagine being separated 2,400 years ago or 5,000 years ago, you know. So that there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a separation that takes place from there. I mean, for example, you know, the musical Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Right. The reason why people love the musical Hamilton is because it feels like it happened now. Mm-hmm. You know, it took place in the late 1700s, early 1800s. Mm-hmm. 200 years ago it still feels far. Yeah. But when you saw the reenactment of it, it felt so now. Mm-hmm. How do we take that same concept here? You know, so these different forms, uh, these differences form a barrier. And the language they use is there's a river that separates us from the text that often prohibits us from grasping the meaning of the text for ourselves. Um, so as New Testament believers, we're under the New covenant, covenant, and we approach God through the sacrifice of Christ. But the Old Testament people were under the Old Covenant. So it's reminding ourselves to shift our perspective just from the difference between Old Testament and New Testament. Mm-hmm. Old Testament still very much so valid. Um, GB taught me um, the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed. So the Old Testament still has its place. You know, yeah. to operate in this mindset of that it's obsolete is not true. There are things that we don't do because we're on the other side. Mm-hmm. But it's the reminder of when I dive into any book of the Old Testament, reminding that they didn't have Christ yet. Yeah. So that in and of itself should already shift our perspective the moment we open any book in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. You know, Christ existed. He was just in heavens. Mm-hmm. But they, in the physical form, earthly Christ did not come yet. So that already shifts our perspective, right? So the river between the Old Testament text and us consists not only of culture, language, situation, and time, but also of covenant. That's, that's, that's the biggest gap is the covenant piece. Okay. Um, we have much more in common with the New Testament audience, yet even in the New Testament, the different culture, the language, and specific situations can still present a formidable barrier to our desire to grasp the meaning of the text. So often the river can be deep, and too wide to simply go across. So when you think of uh, basically the customs and languages, the situations, the time, um, and the covenant, all those things are contributing factors to the river basically that we have to cross to make it relevant to now. Which is why sometimes you come across a text that's like, oh, that makes sense. So the river can be as simple as just, I'm just jumping across a creek. Mm-hmm. Whereas other times it's like, I got to swim across this mud. Mm-hmm. Because you're, you're breaking down all these barriers, Right. Or you're falling off because the river becomes something long, and then you just oh, there's a waterfall. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're not going under. <laughs> it's too, like Ezekiel. It becomes a lot. There's a lot. Yeah. Like anytime we, for me, the prophets. Yeah. Become a lot, and and honestly, if we really think about it, the prophets aren't complicated. Mm. When you when you really stop. And think like they're they're having dreams just mm-hmm. like we're having dreams. Mm-hmm. They're they're receiving messages just mm-hmm. like we're receiving messages, and they're speaking to particular people just like you know our pastors are speaking to a particular people. Yeah, 
it's just something sometimes about reading them. Just like this feels weird, really weird. Yeah, and and it's just like, how did you get when you saw the wheel? Yeah, and I think like the eyes and this. What what what? Like, right. How did you get this out of this? And so sometimes when I'm reading those. That stuff is when I feel like I'm swimming across the river. Yeah. I am now drowning in the river. And <laughs> I'm now beyond rescue in the river. But then you read, like, you know, Romans or yeah. anything post-Jesus. And he's kind of talking about relationships and churches and some of the issues that they're experiencing. Even if they're kind of for that culture, like, you know, women shouldn't be talking. Whatever yeah, yeah, saying, yeah, yeah. Even, yeah. If you're, even though that, that may be cultural, it still feels more relatable. Yeah. Because it's like, this is how I interact with other people and how I should be living for myself. Mm-hmm. Whereas previously in the Old Testament, I feel like that's where I feel a little bit more like the river is deep. Yeah, that's Just good. Just personally. No, it's good. So you bring up a good point. Everybody, and Pastor Mike Campbell was just saying this last week, everybody, whether it's intentional or not, more time than not, it's unintentional. We all have our cultural biases. Mm-hmm. Yep. And based off of our cultural bias, biases is how we easily, A, connect with God, mm-hmm. but also disconnect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you didn't grow up with a certain, with it being experienced as something within your culture, yeah. that's not how you're going to see God. It's important to know that because just because it's not how you came to know God, it doesn't mean that's how other people aren't coming to know God. Mm -hmm. And it's also important to know to realize that we can unintentionally make our experience the gospel. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's just not how the answer is yes. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? To all. There's several different ways on how people come to Christ. And part of it are the cultures, the languages, the situation. Like, you ever think about every single culture is something that's not surprised by God? Yeah. Every single language is something that's not surprised by God. Yeah. Like, these are his people. Yeah. You know, we are all equally his people from different cultures, different races, of different genders, of different um, uh politics, all that stuff. Yeah. All of that. Yet, God wants us all serving him, worshiping him. And how he does that's going to be different. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this. Any attempt to interpret and to apply the Bible involves trying to cross the river. While often unconscious of their interpretive method, many Christians today nonetheless frequently employ an intuitive, meaning it feels right approach, to interpret. Or they take a spiritualizing approach to the meaning, meaning it's an approach that borders on allegorizing the biblical text, which shows little or no sensitivity to the biblical context. Mm-hmm. Or the third one, which is easy for all of us to do, we just shrug our shoulders and move on to another passage. Yeah. Right? Like we read and we go, I don't know what that means. Ah, moving on. Yeah. Okay. So we don't even. So we don't. Even, yes. We don't even dip our toes in the river. Mm-hmm. We just stay on the. We just stay on the left side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it gets confusing. Or like, I wish they talk a little bit like how personalizing, because like, mm-hmm. if you can't make it make sense to you at a personal level, then I'm not going to go deeper. Like mm-hmm. this, this doesn't seem like this is relevant anymore. So like, I'm just going to move on because they did do some wild stuff back then. Right. Like just even the clothes they wore and their their customs and stuff. And so it's easy to read like a Leviticus or Numbers. Yeah. And just be like, because <laughs> that's just really what. <laughs> I do, right? Um, because it doesn't feel relevant, right? Right. Or I can't. I don't want to spend the time it takes to recognize why this is important. The who, what, when, where, and why of that chapter. Yeah. I don't want to go deeper, so I just stay in shallow waters. Numbers is exhaustive. Yeah. I mean, it's literally just chapter after mm-hmm. chapter. It lives up to the title. Mm-hmm. 
You know, there's, there's, I think it's at least five or six chapters uh, that just goes into the description of the tabernacle mm-hmm. and how the, the width of it and yes, the material the of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And the tribes and as mm-hmm. to how many people who do it. And, and the outside gate and the, <laughs> the rubies and the jewelry that's coming in. It's not like, why are there jewelries in this? Like, it's like, what does it look like? Right, and right. So it's, it's really tough. And sometimes it's discouraging. Yeah. Because, so like, like, I like to read the, I just like to read the Bible and, and, um, not numerical or anything. I just I just read it in its order. Yeah. And I always fall and get off track in Leviticus and Numbers. Mm. Just typical. And yeah. then I'll do good because like you know like Joshua just saying those other kings. Then that's Chronicles feels like then we just talked about it's either kings that feel, I feel like I just talked about this or it might be Chronicles where I feel like I just we just talked about this. Mm-hmm. So I get a little throwed off. Mm-hmm. Then I love my Isaiah. And then Jeremiah, yeah, final limitations. Because like Jeremiah, I'd be like, mm-hmm. final limitations. Then Ezekiel is just down there. So let me ask you, the books that you find yourself connecting with, and this isn't bad. The dramatic ones. <laughs> why do you why do you connect with the ones that you do connect with, and why do you disconnect with the ones that you do? That you oh, do? I know those answers. Okay. So the ones that I connect with, I feel like they remind me that. That people are tragic, and people, and, and at the time they didn't know that they were Christians. Mm-hmm. You know, they didn't have a Christ to to claim, but they didn't have a God to serve, mm-hmm. and they still messed up a lot. Mm-hmm. So, because sometimes when I'm in spaces with other Christians, I tend to um, compare myself to their walk, and I just feel like ah, I feel like Christians were always just these blameless, perfect people because they're unwilling to share yeah. where they fall. So the Bible gives me stories where people are falling, and I'm either seeing his or because even like also my mom in reading in the Old Testament, reading now again, Cain and Adam and Eve. One thing that Adam and Eve received is that God sewed their clothes, and that's like He made provision for their nakedness, so mm-hmm. they were ashamed and He covered them. Mm-hmm. Cain killed a whole person, and God marked him and was like, "Nobody will kill you." Wow. Mm-hmm. I found out he deserved to die. He killed for no reason. Yeah. And so just even reading the little bit I'm reading it now, I'm just like, bro, you know, God literally sees people messing up. Yeah. And he still tells them the way yeah. to redemption. So yeah. I relate to that. I don't relate as much to like Leviticus and Numbers because of the rules. And those are specific things. And sometimes I don't want to be put in a box personally. Mm. So when, so because like that requires rule following. Mm-hmm. And I think... As I'm getting older, I'm reflecting on my life. I think I grew up as an eight. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a one now, which is why I think why people mistype me. Mm-hmm. So there's a part to me that's like I want to push back yeah. a little bit. Um, I'm a rule follower now because I thought getting saved again, I was supposed to be a rule follower. Mm. So my oneness in my adulthood comes from thinking that I had to be right or wrong yeah. to enter into the kingdom of God. But when I was younger, I was very much like, I don't just cut to the chase. I want to do what I want to do. I, don't, I you know, I love change. Yeah. And so Leviticus and Numbers feels like you can't, you have to There's no margin. It's rigid, yeah. yeah. And so it's like, uh, I got to make it like, what if I'm 110 cubits? What if you ask for that, but I'm 111 cubits? Yeah, that's really good. What's going to happen? Yeah. So when I read that, I just feel overwhelmed by it because mm-hmm. it's like, I, I would have never been able to do this. Do you think when you read it like that, you translate it uh, as it has to be perfect mm-hmm. instead of just following instruction for what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it just it feels like I have to do it a certain way, mm-hmm. and because otherwise, and like, and, and often when you read the Old Testament, like 
There was no room to be human. Mm. And as as Lot's wife, mm-hmm. absolutely, I probably would have looked bad. Like I just feel like you know, like running don't look bad. Well, how? And so I'd be feeling bad for her because I'm like, yeah. no, I probably would have looked too, and I would be salty too. Yeah, so, like, yeah. I just feel like <laughs> pun unintended. <laughs> and so I just feel like, dang, like when I so when I read the Old Testament, I just be like, man, like you gotta, you have to stick, you gotta stick to a certain thing. And I think that's why in my new walk and as a one now. The Old Testament is where I tend to sit because mm-hmm. it's it gives you like a right or wrong context, mm. whereas the New Testament gives you free will, choice, flexibility, and yeah. like, hey, we're doing our best here. Yeah, and so I think as a young that's person, that's the message you've received as you've been reading as I've been reading it, yeah. and so now like now that I'm trying to just not give so much authority and precedence to my personality type mm-hmm. and just reading it for the messages that God was sending and how they can be applied versus like that's good. Like it's it's changing the way that I see it now. I feel like now I have the freedom to read how I want to read yeah. versus the structure that I was applying in as a new Christian, as a new as a new believer who had believed before and just backslid and then came back. That's good. That's good. I'm glad that makes sense because I don't know. No, well, so here's what you said. One, thank you for sharing. Two, you brought up a valid point that everybody does. So everybody will connect to some to some parts in the Bible. And the reason why you're connected to the parts you're connecting with is because of those those personal things that you have experienced. Mm-hmm. That's natural. Mm-hmm. The The point is to identify what you connect with, but also to identify what you don't connect with yeah. so that we can be more intentional with that and not shrug our shoulders. I have read you know? Leviticus this week. I know you, 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 you try to challenge me to do things. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. That ain't on my list. <laughs> and I and I get it. I, I totally get it. It's because here's the deal. So here we go. Our goal is to grasp the meaning of the text that God has intended. Mm. Like that should always be the goal, yeah. right? Yeah. But we'll naturally grasp more text than others simply because of whatever we we've experienced, or as you said, our personality. So like for me, because I'm highly relational, mm-hmm. I connect with all the relational aspects of God. I connect with that very well. I connect with the fact that um, God is a father to me, mm. that Jesus is a brother and he calls me friend. I connect with all that. I believe or I know that God is powerful. Mm-hmm. I know that God heals. I know that God restores. But for some reason, I don't believe that that's for me sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I see it. I read it in the scripture and I believe in it. But there's a gap for me that I don't believe it's true for me. Yeah. Right? That's based off of my own, same thing, cultural upbringing, experience, whatever it is. And that's not a lack of what someone did or didn't do necessarily. Yeah. It's just I've interpreted certain things mm-hmm. in my own psyche, right? And so when I read through the book of Acts and it says Peter and Paul walked by and they're shadow healed folks, like, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. So I'm now challenging and I'm asking, and I remember when I said that out loud, I just felt the Holy Spirit saying, who says that I can't use you to do that? Yeah. So I know it. I see it. But do I actually believe that that is something that's true for me? Yeah, that's good. You know what I mean? So my point is we all have that. This isn't, this isn't a bad thing. It's a human thing. Mm-hmm. The question is then how do we utilize, how do we approach basically grasping of the text the way God has intended, not the way I'm intended? Yeah. You know? So that, that's a great filter to start us off with. We do not create meaning out of a text. Rather, we seek to find the meaning that is already there. However, we recognize that we cannot apply the meaning for the ancient audience directly to us today because of the river that separates us. Once again, things like culture, 
time, the situation, the covenant, all those are, are contributing factors of the river that we have to cross, right? The Bible is a record of God's communication of himself and his will to us, and we revere the Bible and treat it as, a whole, as holy because it's the word of God and because God reveals himself to us through his word. Um, I really like this statement right here. While the specifics of a particular passage may only apply to the particular situation of the biblical audience, the theological principles revealed in the text are applicable to all God's people at all times. You know? Um, so, there are five different steps that they give us, and I really like this. So, the first one is this. Step one is grasping the text in their own town. Um, so, basically, this is where we get to ask the question, what was the culture like? You know? Um, instead of jumping to the what does it mean for me? Instead of jumping to where am I in the story or who am I in the story, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> we like to do that. <laughs> Number one I'm is... Always <laughs> I'm so not like a regular Christian because I'm like, well, I'm a Pharisee. Like, I just, yeah. I just, I always see myself as the worst person in the story. Well, and sometimes here's, and I'm not saying there isn't a place for that, but sometimes it's, it's um when we do that, we can unintentionally go like, God, I want to bring you into this instead of like, no, I want to bring myself into you yeah. and your word. Yeah, that's true. You know, like, how can I? The Bible don't need help. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It don't need further. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let God's word be God's word. Mm-hmm. So how do I lay aside my biases, yeah. though I know I connect on the relational peace of God? Mm-hmm. How do I lay aside my inaccurate truth of I don't feel like I'm good enough to have the power and the Holy Spirit of me in order to, it's not even about me in the first place. Yeah, yeah. If I truly want to live in the things of God and have everything they had in store for me, what would it look like for me to actually just believe that, put aside my biases, and actually accept what God's word has said? You know, so part of that, number one, when when we read scripture, and this is any text, number one, it says grasping the text in their town. And the question is, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? So when you read something, the first question should be to us is, well, what did this mean for them? Yeah. Not what does this mean to me? Mm-hmm. We're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Why, why does this matter to this cultural audience? Mm-hmm. Why does this matter to these people? What was their culture like? Write out, um, write out what the passage meant for that biblical audience. And I like this. Be specific. Do not generalize to try and develop theological principles yet. We're not there yet. So when we read something, the first question i got to ask is, what did the text mean to the biblical audience? So that's step one. Step two, now we measure the width of the river of the cross. So a filter question would be, what are the differences between the biblical audience and us? So this is where you get to see how wide or how close the gap is. Um, this is why, once again, some cultures, uh, particularly uh, in um, Eastern cultures, sometimes it's easier for them to connect with the biblical audience more than an American. Because a lot of their culture is still very similar. Ours isn't, you know? So the, the second question is, what are the differences between the biblical audience and nothing? Here we go. The width of the river varies from passage to passage. Sometimes it's extremely wide, requiring a long, substantial bridge. Other times, you can just hop right over it. So this is why, once again, certain texts we connect like it's nothing, and others, we're sitting there struggling. We get swapped, swept up in the river. <laughs> Sometimes it leads to a waterfall because you're trying, you're trying to figure this whole thing out. It's a, it's a, it's a broad, based off the text you're reading mm-hmm. versus the cultural upbringing you had, the experience that you had. It can be so wide and so big, it's just harder for you to understand. That's not a bad thing. Everybody has those moments. It just may not be from the same text. Yeah. So what does it look like for me to stick it out when the current is thick? 
and it's heavier than what I want it to be. And it's not in the way that I want it to be. Mm. So how are we looking for significant differences between our situation today and the situation of the biblical audience? And it's not, and, it, and sometimes it has, it's not so much needing to agree, but you do need to understand it. Mm-hmm. You know, understanding is not synonymous to agreeing. And I've said that before. You know, it's I just need to understand the culture of of what they had going on because you got to keep in mind the Bible is written for that time for that people. The truth is always true. Yes. You know, the principles of it, um, but it's right to a specific audience um, in the Old Testament or in the New Testament. Try to identify any unique aspects of the situation of your passage. So step one, grasping the text in their town. Step two, measuring the width of the river to cross. Step three, crossing the principalizing bridge. This is where it starts to get fun. This is where you ask, what is the theological principle in this text? Another way of asking it is, what is always true? Okay. Based off of this text, what what is true forever? Okay. So for example... Um, we don't live under the covenant of the law, but we still follow the commandments. Yeah. Yeah. Those like those ten principles will always be right. You know, and and even if whether you are a Christ follower or just a morally good person, mm-hmm. that those <laughs> things stand the test of time. But especially for those of us who follow the Lord, right? Um, those things won't change. Right. So like we're under a new covenant, but that doesn't erase the commandments. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think about that. Mm-hmm. So even when I'm reading about Adam and Eve, like their disobedience, like be, like you know, like the consequence of yeah of your sin, like right. that's not going to change. Right, right. I may not eat a fruit, you yeah. Know, so that instead of putting myself into it and being like, well, you know, I would have never done this, and it's like it's not about you. Right. It was about them being able to be in the space to walk with God, lean into Him, and then you know, and, mm-hmm. and maintaining obedience to Christ. So obedience to God is a very important aspect that doesn't change. Yeah, here's here's something I was actually looking into. So, like, when the commandments were first, you know, given to Moses and he gave it to the Israelites and whatnot. Um, in Exodus, I think it's, I want to say it's chapter 15. Um, but before God gives the commandments, he says, I am the Lord your God. It's an important statement. If I say, I am Mark, your friend. Like, that's that's relational language. You know, for God to say, I am the Lord, your God. Translation, I belong to you, but you also belong to me. Mm-hmm. So before he even establishes the rules, the regulations, the commandments, yeah. like God is like, I, I want a relationship with you more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's never changed. Yeah. Yeah. We get focused on the commandments. Yeah. The commandments are there to help honor the, the relationship. Mm-hmm. And then the same thing, once uh, that whole thing was done, what happened? Israelites wanted a king. God didn't want that. God was like, I- I- I'll do that. And they said, no, Moses, you talk to God. You continue to do that. So God wanted the relationship from day one. Adam and Eve, you said it earlier, he walked in the garden. Relational language. So God has always been a God of relationship. And they knew him just by like, the sound that yeah. he was walking. So you obviously were walking a lot. Like, right. Like obviously that you were doing you know, a whole bunch of times. Right. So. Like this is before Jesus ever comes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? God has always been a God of relationship. But we get caught up in the rules, the commandments, and the, and the kings and all that stuff. And you see this, you see this, but God being who he is, the gift of free will. It's the whole, I'll let you have that. He always wanted a relationship. He didn't, he didn't want kings. But all right, if that's what you want. He doesn't have this thought about that. Like he, he talks to people in the Old Testament so often. Yeah. So often. 
like just <laughs> like just thinking about with Kane, like where's your brother? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, like I guess in my brain it just never just was like a question, but mm-hmm. it's like he they had to have this was a known thing, right? You know, or like just any other when we think about just different players with Moses in the burning bush and like just like it's just like God be talking, yeah, often, yeah, because <laughs> he wants to have a conversation, yeah, um, he wants to have a connection. That has not changed. Think about this. Nowhere from Genesis to Revelation, nowhere will you find God moving outside of relationship. Yeah. Yeah. To literally include creation. Yeah. After six days, it's like, hey, Adam, here you go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, oh, hey, I'm going to give you someone else, Eve. God's always, so that's a theological principle. That's always true. Yeah. But we get caught up in the covenant and the law and the commandments. Of, there's a place for that. Yeah. But in this case, a theological principle that is true always, God's always been a guy of relationship. That's never gone away. Mm-hmm. He just changed it specifically through Jesus. Yeah. So we still have a relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. And this, this gets Trinitarian, <laughs> you know. But so I said to say, how has shifted, the what has not changed. The what is that God desires to do life with us. And he always has, literally since day one with Adam and Eve. We're the ones who's turned around. And rejecting them, so that's a theological. That's a perfect example of a theological principle yeah. that is always true. So it's easy to read the Ten Commandments and go, I mean, that was really for them, whatnot. Like, no, it's still true to this day, and God is relational. The difference is we don't work for it; we work from our faith. How do I lean into because we live on the other side of the covenant? How do I lean into the fact that God loves me? He's already done the work for me. If I say yes to Him, He's going to empower me. To honor the commandments mm-hmm. instead of me trying to work my way to obey the commandments, right? So that's that's a, that's a shift right there. But um, that's step one and two. After reviewing the differences and identifying the similarities, return to the meaning for the biblical audience that you described in step one, and then try to identify a broader theological principle that's reflected in the text, but also one that relates to the similarities between us and the biblical audience. Um, at the end of the day, principles, uh, this is really good. The principles should be reflected in the text. Mm-hmm. Principles should be timeless. Mm-hmm. They should not be culturally bound. Mm-hmm. They should correspond to the teaching of the rest of Scripture. This part's very important. When you read something in a text, it should flow with everything else you read through Scripture. Yeah. So like, I don't know if you're like, people make an argument with the book of James, and they'll say that it's, um, when you read it just on its own, People have made arguments that James contradicts Paul because, you know, Paul talks a lot about grace, mm-hmm. right? And James is talking about, you know, if you're saved, your works wealth will show that. Mm-hmm. But James is not talking about working for your faith. He's saying if you have said yes to Jesus and you love him so much, you are going to work. But the difference is you're working because of how much you love Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so I'm not working to get anything mm-hmm. to Jesus. You know, I'm working because it's, it's, it's the difference between, like, for example, me, me and my marriage with Juby, it's easy for me to say, I don't want to cheat on my wife because I don't want to take her off and get in trouble. Versus, I don't want to cheat on my wife because I love my wife. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so because I spend time with my wife, I don't want anything else. Yeah. The same thing, when I spend so much time with God, why wouldn't I want to serve the homeless? Yeah. Because I'm so immersed in the presence of who he is, I understand more of who he is, who I am in him, why wouldn't I want to go out and serve and, and tithe and give and... Yeah tip generously even though the person was a complete jerk like who cares Mm -hmm. because God's been good to me Mm -hmm. that's what James is talking about you know so it's easy to misconstrue without looking at the whole thing not just within its own book 
But how does that even correspond with the rest of the entire scripture? Yeah. You know, so principles should always correspond. It, it shouldn't. God is not a God of chaos or confusion. Mm-hmm. It's always going to connect. You may not make sense of it immediately. My mom told me that Pastor Tony Evans, I think he said something kind of like the, te- the text interprets the text or the text, mm. the text reveals the text. That's good. Like that. And so yeah, she was yeah. telling me that the other day. She was just saying like, there should be nothing in scripture that, that you can't also answer with scripture. That's really good. And I love so that. that was helpful to me just because we just talk. Yeah. So she said that Tony Evans said something that she was listening to that he had said that. So yeah. that makes sense to what you're talking about here. So it's not that James is necessarily a contradiction. Mm-hmm. He's just interpreting He's on the back side of it. He's on another side of the text. Correct. So it's like, I just, and I never thought of his book as not a part of. Right. People, I feel like people are really reading hard. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you are really taking this really far. Yes. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Like, James was um, the brother of Jesus. Yes. And I just didn't see James, I didn't interpret his work to be that. Um, I haven't either. I didn't even know that was a thing until someone brought it up. But there are. But I have met a couple individuals mm-hmm. who do operate from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's not what James is saying at all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because you have said yes to Jesus, mm-hmm. we do work. Mm-hmm. But I'm working from. Like what? What is what scripture? Like, is there like a chapter in James that specifically? Um, I think off the top of my head, I think chapter one is one of them. I want to say, and I could be wrong. It might be actually worth going to. Uh, let's see. Look at James. Here we go. Verse 19. Hearing and doing the word. Notice, my uh, beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, so to speak, so to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. So when people read that to be doers, they, they, they trans, some people have translated it as like, well, I have to do, do, do. Like I have to work. Yeah, no. I'm just literally looking through, like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I never interpreted that that way. Verse 25, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not brittle or bridle his tongue, mm-hmm. but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world so here we are it's like yeah we were called to do all those things but it's easy to read this so verbatim like that's the thing that's going to get me into heaven i just wow okay and i'm with you i i I didn't look at it that way either and i didn't realize this was a challenge until i heard that it was i just always thought it was like how would you say here like read your bible do what it says yeah right (laughs) i just i was very basic like do not be hearers of the word, you know, but do it. Like, just, like, do it. Yeah. Hear it and, and do what it says. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I'm also not very deep when it comes to reading. I would love to be deeper in my thinking about the Bible, but I'm not. Yeah. And I think that also goes back to our original points about, like, culture and how we were raised. Mm-hmm. Like, I was raised in a house, like, this is what the Bible says, so you follow it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Black and white. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and if you don't follow it, you just have to go to hell. 
Mm. Like that is that is a statement that comes out of people's mouths yeah. still. Yeah. If you do not want to live saved, then you got to go to hell. Yeah. Oh. All right. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny. I I had this. I, I had a conversation with a friend of mine, um, <laughs> and he. He got his master's uh, years ago, but, but he's just, uh, he did a branch transfer like myself in the Army. So mm-hmm. he's a recent new chaplain like me, but he's been had his master's in divinity. And so we were just talking about, you know, the Bible and whatnot. Um, but he made a comment and said, you know, the Bible is very simple. It's very black and white. And I thought to myself in personal opinion, I said, I disagree. I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Because if it was, one, more people would say yes to it. Mm-hmm. And two, he wouldn't have as many denominational splits as we have. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't think it says black and white. I wish it was. Right. Otherwise, why do we have all these schools? I think it's, I think it's deep. I I, think deep. Now, I think, I, think, I think we could all do a better job. Of, and here's the thing. Like, uh, I love what Pastor Randy says. No one has 100% accurate Theology. Yeah. Right. That's so true. I like to think that I do. Mm-hmm. I really do. I'm and I'm still growing in it. Um, but I don't. I, I don't know everything. When, I, when we, we were talking about the Book of Revelation, and it says there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Okay. What does that mean? I legit right. have questions about that. Right. To which I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like in my mind, like new heaven is this like. The Thanos snap or something? Yeah. Like, is this yeah. is this a reboot? <laughs> is, like, are we watching them burn? Right. Like, so I'm I'm not deep, but I'm inquisitive mm-hmm. in terms of my imagination. So mm-hmm. when I read something like that, I'm like, what heaven do you heard? What, 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 like, right. this is what is streets of gold coming? Come, like, what are we doing? Are we floating? Are we in gardens? <laughs> are we in pastures? Are we outside? We have houses. So, like, that's where I am. Yeah. I'm not deep. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. And it's good to, to have those those questions. Yeah, but growing up, yeah, in the churches that and my parents like we we did like we did some Bible studies, but we went to church a lot. Mm-hmm. And so and then around the table we probably like read. Mm-hmm. My mom had this glass container with like like cards in it that had scriptures on them, so we mm-hmm. memorized those. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't recall like hearing there's a new heaven, new earth. Mm-hmm. It was a black and white. This earth is going to pass away, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a new one. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Not there's no like well pass away how yeah if you're gonna die yeah like, you know, right that's, right that's where my curiosity comes in yeah and that's why I don't think the Bible can be black and white I don't think I'm deep enough for the Bible mm-hmm. but growing up similar to what your friend is saying yeah it's one way or the other yeah this yeah is what it is what he says what is what we know yeah yeah and that's just literal a literal yes yeah yeah that's yeah tough for me there's, yeah no it, it is it's it's challenge um and the, the last principle says. Be relevant to both the biblical and the contemporary audience. Mm-hmm. So all principles should reflect should be reflected in the text, should be timeless, not be culturally bound, correspond to the teaching of the rest of Scripture, and be relevant to both the biblical and contemporary audience. So that's step three. Step four is consult the biblical map. So the question is, how does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible? And it kind of goes back to you know what we talked about earlier. So not just does the Scripture match some of the other scriptures we see throughout the Bible, mm-hmm. but does the theological principle fall in line with all of scripture? Yeah. You know? Um, so even this morning when I was doing my thing and I, when I was even initially writing that, that was one of the first things that came to mind. It's like I got, I got these three things. Mm-hmm. Um, so from John 21, you know, verse 15 through 19, where Jesus asked a question three times with Peter, you know, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And then after it says, what's it to you? You know, you follow me. 
the three, my three takeaways were, I'm like, okay, Jesus loves Peter. Jesus wants to restore Peter. Jesus wants to lead Peter. So now I thought, Mike, that's a theological principle. And then the next thought I had in my head is that falls in line with the rest of Scripture. Yeah. Like, it's, it's absolutely safe to say that Jesus loves us. Jesus always wanted to heal and restore us, and Jesus always desires to lead us. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it, it goes John three sixteen. <laughs> right. God loves us so much that He gave that whoever believes will not perish. That's the healing and the restoration. Yeah, that's good. And then now you get to be led by Him. Yeah. Like you'll have everlasting life because your life is now in tune and in step with Him. That's really good. So, like that's that is exactly what those things. That's why it's in Scripture. I mean, it's the biggest Scripture everyone knows. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And then there, we, boom, we get to have it. Yeah, you know, that's just, good. So. So then, this just came to mind right now, it's safe to say if theological principles don't line up with that, it's probably a red flag. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So if it doesn't connect with either the rest of, with other scriptures we know, or if the, the principle in itself doesn't connect with the overlying, uh, the overlying consistency of the rest of scripture, mm-hmm. let that serve as a red flag then. Because God is not a God of contradiction. Mm-hmm. And if people are not teaching you, excuse me, about his love, about his healing, and about his lordship and leadership, mm-hmm. then that's also a red flag if they're teaching from some other lens. Mm-hmm. Like prosperity. <laughs> just, I know this isn't a real podcast. So no, no. Anywhere, that's all right. I, just, <laughs> I can say those things. Yeah. Just make sure that, yeah, I'll tell you, just make sure that you cut me out. This might be the pilot episode. <laughs> no, this is not. This is definitely terrible because I was chewing and eating. I, I feel like they can hear every single thing. Uh, it's and all good. Every noise. So, yeah. Hey, I'll, for real, I don't know. I'm, I'm just messing with this. You never know where this can come from. This does not need to be the pilot. There's, there's a, I like this question here. Is your principle consistent basically with the rest of Scripture? If you're studying an Old Testament passage, mm-hmm. consulting a biblical map is especially important for here you will run your theological principle through the grid of the New Testament. So in other words, look for what the New Testament adds to that principle. Or, if you find something in the Old Testament, ask yourself, how does the New Testament modify it? You know? So, uh, for example, going back to the commandments, God's always been a God of relationship. Mm-hmm. He still is a God of relationship. The biggest difference is we go to Jesus first so we can have that relationship with God our Heavenly Father. Yeah. But the principle is true in the sense that he's always been a God relationship. You know, um, another example would be, um, oh, per example, we were talking about the book of Numbers earlier, right? And how there's like chapter after chapter after chapter of just pure instruction on how to set up the tabernacle. Yeah. Something that dawned on me last year after I'd read through it, think of it this way. The tabernacle really just means the dwelling presence of God. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's all it is. In the Old Testament, there was a tent mm-hmm. that literally required thousands of people to carry in so many different forms and whatnot to set up for only a handful of people to go in and actually encounter the presence of God. Okay? Mm-hmm. So then, the tabernacle goes from a tent to a temple. Right? With uh, David. Right? Yeah. Set that whole thing up and he gave the vision to his son and all that and he finished it. Okay? So the tabernacle goes from a tent to a temple. Then the Old Testament is done, 400-year gap, and then a guy named Jesus comes along. Mm-hmm. So that tabernacle becomes a person because he's the dwelling presence of God, yeah. right? Then in John 14, he says to the disciples, because where I'm going, you cannot come with me, but I'm sending you someone who's greater than I. Mm-hmm. 
someone to help you. One version says the advocate, another one says the comforter, another one says the counselor to help her. Bottom line, it's talking about the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus came to die, he didn't just die for sin. Um, he didn't just die to fulfill the commandment, but he also died to give us the permanent filling of the Holy Spirit, which is why it says, when it was done, the veil tore. Meaning, the tabernacle was redundant. Why? Because when Jesus Christ died, he gave us the permanent filling of the Holy Spirit. So the concept of the tabernacle, which just means dwelling presence of God, that's a theological principle. That's always true. That has never shifted. The fact that the tabernacle is the dwelling presence of God has never changed. The only difference is it's no longer a tent, it's no longer a temple, and it's no longer tied to one person. If you have said yes to Jesus, you're the tent. So when I go back through numbers, as exhaustive as it is, now when I look at it, I'm like, we don't need that anymore. I don't need to go through the cubits. I don't need to be dependent on thousands of people to carry all this material, to set up this big thing, which only a handful of people can do it. Like, I have that access. So now when I read for numbers, that's what I see. All that is gone. That's not how I initially read it, though. That's not how I, I was like, good grief, this is, why am I reading this? That's how I read it in the moment. I'm like, okay, got it. Yep, it was that long. Uh-huh, that wide. Okay, got it. Next page. Still talking about cubits. Okay. Oh, it's this tribe that's carrying it this time. All right. Uh-huh. Yep. Got it. Oh, yeah. Oh, here we go again. Another tribe. And they're carrying that much? How many people now? Oh, we're at 6,000. Okay. That's how I was reading it in the moment. But, like, when I go back over and I'm like, now I have an appreciation for it. Now I'm like, that's amazing. <laughs> but as I had to say, that's just been recent, as in this, these past few months. That's just been this year that I've even been able to look at it that way. Before, when I read through uh, numbers, I looked at it as tedious. I yeah. shrugged my shoulders. I'm like, who, like, who cares? Yeah. And it's so, it's, it's I legit was like, like who like, gives a rip care. of how many yeah. people carried the tabernacle? Like, that was my initial thought. But it's like, when you go from that to, all I have to do is say yes. Mm-hmm. And now I'm the ten? Yeah, yeah. Like, I'm the thousands of people that get to all carry it because it's all. Yeah. It's no longer troublesome. Maybe even, like, God looked back on numbers like, whoop, Lord. Right. <laughs> Let me just see. Right? <laughs> Holy Spirit, you're up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Permanently. Like, it's like, oh, we can't go to this game. Right. Like, you can imagine, like, we don't get to read even, like, the mishaps. Like, I just feel like, yeah, yeah. like, all of the yardage that probably got, like, right. I, just, I just, in my mind, sometimes I think about, you would know what building the art. I'm like, he was precise. The first time? Yes. Or were there like a bunch of like baby arcs? And right. I feel like there's got to be some mistake arcs. Yeah. You got to get a giraffe. Or at least mistakes in his arc before it got yeah. to where it was at. And yeah. So just sometimes you, you miss that. I'm just like, Lord, I just think you like, we don't have to worry about that arc. Right. It's the rainbow. <laughs> and that's the reminder of the covenant that you won't destroy us in this way. But you one could say, that. maybe the theological principle, I'm just talking off the top of my head, maybe the theological principle is just being obedient as to what God has told you to do, not knowing the end result. So okay, and so, just maintaining the consistency in mm-hmm. that. So you, you saying that is helpful because when I was reading it and it was like Noah was righteous before God, and in, in my little footnotes it was like they didn't say sinless. Mm. And so I thought, ah, oh, that's true. And I was like, you know, mm. this may not have even been about. I was like, you know what? There's no way he could have just did this accurately. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I was like, this is not possible. Mm-hmm. Like unless he was like some kind of skilled. You know, person. I was yeah. like, God was probably just patching up holes and probably was just making <laughs> space. And I was like, He had to make the animals come to him. Right, like, right, right. How he caught a squirrel. Right. How he caught a squirrel. A lot. 
He didn't. That's what had to happen there. Right, right. So it's just like, I feel like there had to be so much Holy Spirit in that, like just yeah. intervening for yeah, yeah. to be able to really do this well. And I'm, who's to say he didn't make mistakes as he was building it? Yeah, yeah. You know? So like it, it was set, it was eighty two and not eighty. Mm-hmm. And it's like oh, okay, hey, look, cut this off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So who's to say he didn't make mistakes along the way before he built it? Yeah. Completely. Yeah. It just I just feel like there had I just in my mind and so just kind of hearing that too is like you know we just don't know how God right came through intervened right um, and it was just a message of obedience yeah and being willing to be ridiculed and sacrificed for the sake of. What God was doing in Noah and his family. And guess what? Those are theological principles yeah. that tie with the rest of Scripture, yeah. Yeah. as well as the heart of God. Mm-hmm. Well, we need better than sacrifice. You know, to what, Samuel? Something yeah, like yeah, it is. For Samuel, I think it's five. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> and here's because I, I like Samuel. <laughs> it's like that's why I know that that's one. That is hilarious. <laughs> and then uh, step five, the last one is we grasp the text in our town. So this is where you get to ask the fun question. How should individual Christians today live out the theological principles? This is where you get to ask, why does this matter to me? This is where we get to ask, um, so what? You know, what do I do with this? Um, While for each passage there will usually be only a few, um, and sometimes only one, theological principles relevant for all Christians today, there will be numerous applicational possibilities. This is because Christians today find themselves in many different specific situations. So each of us will grasp and apply the same theological principle in slightly different ways, depending on our current life situation and where we are in our relationship with God. So the five steps, just to recap. Number one, grasp the text in their town by asking what did the text mean to the original audience. Number two, measure the width of the river, the cross, by asking what are the differences between the biblical audience and us. Number three, cross the principalizing bridge by asking what is the theological principle in this text. Number four, consult the biblical map by asking how does our theological principle fit with the rest of the Bible. And then step five, grasp the text in our town, meaning how should individual Christians today live out the theological principles. So that's it. Well, that was good. It was a lot. I I need to probably play this back just so I can not get like steps two and three mixed up. Yeah. Just with the the biblical... The biblical principles, yeah. like this, knowing like that part, I think is where I might see myself like forgetting what we talked about. Yeah, like yeah. How I'm, you know, basically how I measured this, and then how I measure it up to the to the rest of the Bible. Like, mm. what is the principle that's in place here? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think when I read, that's the part I don't. I can think about who it was written for, who yeah. it was written by, how it's yeah. relatable to them, blah blah blah. But then when it's like, oh, what's the principle yeah. at play? Yeah. I would I would say like so again going back to John twenty one when I was reading through that because I've I've read that you know obviously that verse I mean, that's a very popular story mm-hmm. to know that Peter denied Jesus three times mm-hmm. and that Jesus would ask him the same question three times mm-hmm. so when I was reading it my goal was my focus was to really pull out the text of what's it to you because yeah. I really found that um, that was my personal struggle. You know, and so I felt God really convinced me of that. But when I read that, I was like, well, what's the setup before that? And so I went back and I was like, okay, this is where, you know, Jesus asked Peter three times, you know, hey, do you love me? I'm like, okay, I know this. When I started reading it again, 
knowing the end result of Jesus, uh, of Peter asking, like, well, what about him, Lord? And Jesus is like, well, what's it to you what I do with him? Yeah. You know, knowing that as the end piece of it mm-hmm. brought a total different perspective for me when I started reading, okay, well, Jesus, you know, wants to show Peter how much he loves him. He wants to restore him and wants to lead him. That matters because if you don't believe in that and you start worrying about what other people are doing, yeah. that's what helped me really conclude that, mm-hmm. you know. And, and that is what made the shift that much greater, yeah. you know. Instead of just saying, like, hey, run your race, stop looking at the Johns in your life. No, you run your race because do you know that Jesus loves you? Yeah. You run your race because do you not know that Jesus wants to heal you and restore you? Like, you run your race. Don't worry about John. You run your race because you not know that Jesus wants to lead you. Mm-hmm. That's way more important than what he's doing. Right. But I, had, but I had to be willing to let the text do that. Mm-hmm. I didn't push myself onto it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's me saying, God, what can I get from this instead of, Lord, what are you looking to teach me that I, needed, that I need to learn from you? And how you wrote it. That's the uh, that this is why Pastor Mike loves preaching through whole books of the Bible, mm-hmm. because it's we just read it for what it is and it actually lays it out for you. We just have to um, the, the the terms are um, exegete. Exegesis. Yep, exegesis. Yeah. So it's to extract. It's to pull out. <laughs> Where because it's either just ISO, mm-hmm. you know, and other, isogesis. I like to insert. That's what we like to do. It's not the goal. The goal is not to insert. The goal is to extract. <laughs> we don't need to be doing isogeny. Again, God's word is God's word. They don't need your help. Let, let the word do its thing. Your job is to say, God, if your word is inexhaustible, which we believe it is, if we know that your word can, uh, um, 2 Timothy 3.16, it, it's, it, it corrects us. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it molds us into righteousness. If we actually believe that, then when I approach it, hey, God, I know your word doesn't need help. I know your word doesn't need help, uh, doesn't need my help. How can I extract and learn what you've already spoken? Mm-hmm. You know, doesn't need our help. Doesn't need your thought. Doesn't need your view. Doesn't need your perspective. You got it. You just, you need to allow, you need to mold yourself to it, not the other way around. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed and learned something new. We're looking forward to having you join us on the next one.